Chef Michael Simon shows us how to make a potato-less gnocchi that anyone can do. Also, a quick and delicious bolognese and tons of tips to up your cooking game in this episode of Cook Tracks. I'm Rach, Rachel Ray, and you're listening to Cook Tracks. It's a brand new, super cool way to cook. Each episode will be right alongside you. Well, kind of, will be in your ear, taking you step-by-step through a dish or a meal in real time. We'll be adding a little pinch of tips, tricks, and fun stories to keep you guys entertained and up your cooking game. Needless to say, we've got your back in the kitchen. I mean it, guys. You literally don't have to worry about a thing. I'm going to keep you on track with my buddy, Cappy. Think of him as our kind of play-by-play announcer for the cook-along. And since not all stoves are created equal, boy, do I know that. If you guys get a little caught up, just hit pause. You don't have to read a recipe, and it isn't rocket science. This is not something you're supposed to take seriously. We want you guys to have fun. Follow along, and at the end of each episode, we'll have made a dish or a meal from start to finish together. Gather up your ingredients, pour yourself a drink or a cup of tea, and turn your volume up to 11. This is Cook Tracks. Take it away, Cap. Hey, everyone, it's Cappy. The episode you're about to hear was recorded as part of a virtual live at home series produced by the Food Network and Cooking Channel New York City Wine and Food Festival. I was honored to moderate over 30 of these classes with some of the world's greatest chefs and culinary personalities, and now they're available to you right here on CookTracks. You can find all the ingredients and equipment you need to cook along on our website, cooktracks.com. We hope you're ready to have some fun, and remember, some of the chefs follow these recipes to a T, while others cook from the heart and use their recipe as a guide. I want to mention that the money raised, over $400,000, from the guest participation in these classes went towards the New York City Wine and Food Festival Restaurant Employee Relief Fund, supporting the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation to help New York State restaurant workers hit by the COVID-19 crisis. If you'd like to learn more and give to the fund, please visit chooserestaurants.org or nycwff.org backslash relief. We appreciate all of your support. Thank you and enjoy this episode. A little bit about today's special guest, Chef Michael Simon. I don't need to go into this in too much detail because you're here and you chose this one for a reason. We all know him when we all love him. Uh, he's a Cleveland native, Iron Chef on Food Network, Burgers Brew and Q on Cooking Channel, um, plenty of restaurants out there, plenty of cookbooks, a true family man, has a, a little granddaughter as well. Um, I'm gonna cut it short because I'm sure we're, we're, we're all ready to cook. Uh, Chef Simon, you ready to cook? I'm ready to cook. Always ready to cook. Excellent. Excellent. Um, let's do this. You want to share what we're making today and maybe any little history about the dish for us? Absolutely. So today we are going to make uh, ricotta gnocchi with bolognese sauce. Um, pretty simple peasant style uh, Italian dish. Um, my heritage, um, you know, I'm a little bit of a, a mixed bag, but my mother's my, my grandmother, my mom's mom, uh, is from Sicily. Uh, so I grew up eating a lot of Italian food, um, and especially these gnocchi. She always called them gnocchi, uh, so we called them gnocchi. We, we never had the potato style when I was a kid growing up. We always had these. Uh, as Later on in my chef years, you know, all the chefs started calling them this style gnocchi a nudie. But I am never going to argue with my grandmother. So to me, these are gnocchi, and I don't care what all those fancy chefs say, still gnocchi. So uh, (laughs) they're easier to make than the potato ones. They're incredibly uh, light, and they have, to me, a little bit more flavor than a potato gnocchi. So they come together really quickly. Certainly, if you didn't want to make the gnocchi, you could do a dry pasta uh, with um, or a fresh pasta with uh, a bolognese also. Um, I tend to like noodles that are a little bit on the heartier side, like a rigatoni, a pappardelle, uh, a tagliatelle, like a a heartier noodle goes best with this kind of sauce. Cavatelli also would be delicious. Um, If if you are cooking along, the ingredients that you should have in front of you for the gnocchi part of the situation, you want some grated Parmesan cheese, about a half a cup, one whole egg, uh, ricotta cheese. If it's drained, that's great. If it's not, I'll show you how to work your way through that. Uh, Some good old-fashioned all-purpose flour, salt, cracked black pepper, 
and we're in a good place uh, with the gnocchi. For the bouillonnaise, you need ground meat. You could have a mixture of ground. It could be beef, veal, and pork. It could be beef. It could be one of those things. You could do this with turkey if you wanted to make it vegetarian. You could do this with diced eggplant. So a lot of variations for you there. Um, I have water, good old-fashioned tap water, white wine, but red will work well too. If you don't have either wine, you could substitute additional water or stock. We have milk, whole. I'm a full fat kind of guy. Um, we have a little bit of tomato paste and then our vegetables, carrots, celery, onion, garlic, a little bit of fresh thyme and some additional Parmesan cheese. And that's it. Um, I think a lot of people, when people think of bouillonnaise, they get it a little confused or mix it into the same party is like what a lot of us call Sunday sauce or Sunday gravy, which is more of a uh, soupy style sauce. A bouillonnaise is classically made with ground beef, paste, milk, and it's tight. We get it to the consistency with pasta water is uh, I will show you how to do. It's really, really easy to do. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to turn our pan on medium to medium high heat, depending on your stove. P different people's stoves run hotter. So we're going to set ours on about a medium high heat. We're going to let the pan get hot. Once the pan gets hot, we're going to add our fat. Then once the fat gets hot, we're going to start cooking. Now, there's two ways you could go about this. You could put the vegetables in first and cook them, then brown the meat, or you could get the meat browning, which gives you time to cut the vegetables. So the way that we're doing this in a little cook-along situation today, I'm going to put the meat in first so that as the meat's browning, we can cut the vegetables together and keep rolling through. So our pan is now hot. I'm going to put in about a tablespoon of olive oil to the bottom of the pan. We're going to take our meat. We're going to season the top of it with a big four-finger pinch of kosher salt. And then when we flip this in the pan, we're going to season the other side with a big four-finger pinch of kosher salt. You need salt. It brings out the flavor. If you have a low-sodium situation, I understand. But if you don't, you need salt. And when, when chefs say a pinch, they don't mean this. They mean a good three, four finger pinch, and that's what you need. So now that our fat is hot, the way that I do this is I just take the spoon that I'm cooking with and I drop the meat right down into the fat. And now I season the other side of the meat. And we just let that start to brown. One of the big mistakes people make when they are browning meat, whether it's for a sauce like this or they're cooking a steak or a protein or whatever it is, is once they put it in the pan, they want to start moving it and dancing and flipping and all this crazy stuff. We're going to let the pan do the work now. So this is going to start to brown. In about two minutes, I'm going to flip it and brown the other side, and then we're going to break it all up. So as that's browning, I'm going to get my vegetables going. First, I'm going to do my onion. So we're going to put a dice on the onion. So we're going to leave the root end on. We're going to take off the front. Give it a peel. Here's some tips too when I'm cooking at home that you should always have. I always have something to put like my scraps in. I can save scraps for stock or compost. I always have a bench scraper, good old cheap plastic bench scraper that you could use to keep your board organized and to move food around. These things cost like a buck. You could get them online. Um, chef knife. And, you know, now I'm in a good place. So we need the root on to hold it. I'm going to go 90% of the way through the onion to there. Same thing on this guy. And then we're going to turn the flat end towards us and go straight down about 90% of the way through again. Cut at your own pace. Same thing here. And then I spin the flat end away from me again and go right through and onions are perfectly diced. And that's what we're looking for. And we'll just get this onion done and we'll move on to our next veg. If you make a lot of stock, you can save 
these end pieces are great for stock. If you're not making stock, just get as close to the bulb as you, as you can or the root as you can. And then the rest is great for compost if you like the garden. All right. Yeah, if we got any questions so far, we're we doing good. Yeah, a couple of questions coming in um, as it relates to the flour part for the gnocchi. If people have bread flour or whole wheat or gluten-free, I know flour could be a sticky situation here, but any any advice on that front? Um, bread flour, you can, so bread flour, AP is, is a good one to use for this. Bread flour has a little bit of a higher gluten content. So the higher gluten content is going to give you a slightly um, chewier gnocchi. So you could use it, but it will give you a slightly chewier. You could use a double zero, that Italian style flour. Double zero doesn't talk about the, the amount of gluten in it. It talks about how it's brown. It's just ground a little finer. That would work. Pastry and bread wouldn't work great in this situation. And I'm going to be honest, I never have made these with uh, gluten-free flour, so I have no idea. It's just not my wheelhouse, so I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure that they have some of those ones out there that, that – you look at the ratio and it, it breaks it down for you, but it's just not my wheelhouse. What else we got, Cap? Someone, someone asking some questions about uh, tips on knife skills. And I do want to let you know at the end of this cook along, we have a great offer from Food Network for their Food Network Kitchen app, which they have some fantastic videos on there that, that you could learn from as well. Yeah, I think with knife skills too, a lot of it is just, you know, getting comfortable with a knife. You know, the, the, the things that are important is one, you know, your knife has to be sharp. You got to keep your knife sharp. And knives don't sharpen themselves. Like when people say, oh, if I buy this knife, will it stay sharp? You still have to, it doesn't matter. You know, you can buy a $50 knife or a $1,000 knife. It doesn't magically sharpen itself. So you still have to keep the knife sharp. You hold the knife like this, four finger thumb, and then you wrap your last three fingers around, so that's how you hold the knife. This isn't how you hold the knife. You have no control this way. This is how you hold the knife. And then your opposite hand on the righty, so my left hand, you roll everything under, make the claw, and that's your guide for the knife. So if you watch, when I as I cut, here, I'll get to Olivia, as I cut, my hand's moving back, and the side of the knife is following my hand. So that's how you get those nice, consistent cuts. And then it's just practice. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I should have it done by now. If I don't, something is really wrong with me. <laughs> All right, we're going to flip our meat now. And you throw the bottom of the pan. And you see how that has that nice caramelization, that's nice and brown? That's what you want. That's where the flavor is. Um, if... You don't want steamed meat. The flavor comes when you brown the meat. So don't be afraid to brown your meat. All right, I'm gonna get my celery cut and then we'll work right into our carrot. If you don't wanna go through the cutting process of this and you have a food processor, you could cut these into chunks and buzz them in the food processor. And this is a rustic sauce and that would be totally fine too. So, you know, for me, um, it might sound weird to some of you out there, but like slicing and dicing to me is it's, it's therapy a little bit. So I like going through the entire process of cooking. It's like when people always, you know, kind of every year there's a new gizmo in the kitchen. Like, you know, a couple of years ago was, could you do this in an Instapot? Could you do this in a table fryer with all those crazy things? Like I like to chop everything and I like to cook stuff in pans. Call me a <laughs> uh, I just I just like the process. So maybe you can do it in an instant pot. Quite honestly, I have no idea. And all those other things too. I don't own any of them, so I'm not sure. What else do we got for questions, Captain? How about for the time? Um, subbing dry time versus fresh time? Great question. Um, you can substitute dry time. Whenever you're substituting a dry spice, remember you're only going to need about a third as much. So if you're using dry time, when you look at the recipe, you need to reduce the amount of time by a third because drying it out actually intensifies the flavor. So if you put in as much dry as you would fresh, it'll be very tiny. Or I think that would be the correct term, tiny. 
Um, any any go-to drink or cocktail you uh, sip on? Fat red wine. Yeah. Um, whatever the red wine of your choice would be, I would definitely go red wine um, with this. But um, you know, I'm, other than that, I have when I'm having Italian. Well, not only just when I'm having Italian food, but I love Campari. Um, not everybody loves Campari because it's a little bit bitter, but. Um, before I sit down for a meal, I, like a Campari and soda would be great. Nice, relaxing, chilly out, um, good digestive before you eat. So I like a Campari and soda with a big slice of orange in it, and I'd be in a really happy spot. Awesome. All right, Sounds good. For the veg. And just a note for everybody, I, it, I'm sure some some people's meat may be browning a little quicker or a little slower. That's the fun of cooking. Cook with your senses, watch it, listen for it, and adjust, you know, accordingly. Yeah, and everyone's stoves are a little bit different. Oven tops, like, you know, when you say high or when you get the temperature, it's going to be different on some people than others, which is fine. And, Kathy, that's a great point that you brought up. It's like you – the most important thing you could do – when cooking is use all your senses, you know, obviously you can see things, obviously you can touch things, you can smell things, you can hear things. When you, when I'm listening to the meat, I hear it sizzling. It means that my pan's hot enough and it's creating a sear. I can smell what's going on as far as uh, how much, like, do I need to flip it? Does it smell like it's burning? Does it smell like it's caramelizing? And some of those senses you will develop over time, but you, you know, you need to use all your senses when you cook. Um, and I think the more you cook, the more you kind of develop some of those senses. Can you touch upon peeling or not peeling celery and carrots? Of course. Uh, you know, carrots, I actually don't always peel carrots. Um, if I get nice organic carrots, I'll just give them a good wash under the sink and go with it. There's a lot of, uh, nutrients in there so why peel them uh this was a little bit you know finding certain ingredients are harder now so but like a carrot that maybe i'm used to seeing i didn't get so these were bigger horse carrots so the skin would have been a little fibrous so i peeled it down but if the carrot is a little bit on the smaller side you certainly can just you know give it a good scrub and go from there and you're in good shape Uh, almost done. You know, someone's asking, and I noticed you did this, you gave your celery a little smash before you chopped it. Was that just to get an even surface there? Yeah, I always, I give it, because celery obviously is not flat, so I give it a little smash to flatten it out, so then it's, I, it's easier to cut that way. So if you're looking down at this, if you look down, you're going to have essentially twice as much onion as you have like two parts onion, one part celery, one part carrot. It's, that, it's a visual if you're looking at it visually. All right, so now we come over to our meat. Our meat is nice and brown. That's what we want. It's got really good caramelization. Now I'm gonna, if you have a potato masher at home, you can take a potato masher and you can smash up the meat that way. If you do not have a potato masher, not a big deal. You can take your wooden spoon and just start breaking it up. And all we're going to do now is get it broken up into chunks. Hope you can hear me over the signal. Now veg is going to go in. So onions, or I'm sorry, the uh, the meat is brown and broken up. Now we're going to put in our onion, our carrot, and our celery. And then when the onion, carrots, and celery are in, we're going to season it again because <clears throat> vegetables are made up of a lot of moisture. So as I salt them as I go, and that develops the, the base of the flavor, and it also pulls out their natural sweetness. So we go with a pinch or two of salt in there. We mix the veg in with the meat. So now some of that fat that the meat has rendered out is going to start cooking the vegetables with it. Turn my heat up just a touch. And you should, if you're looking down in your pan now, 
You should kind of have this nice balanced medley of ground brown meat and vegetables. And now we're gonna break up or, or get our garlic going and then add our garlic. I don't add the garlic with the veg because garlic cooks a little bit quicker than the veg. I don't want the garlic to burn. If the garlic burns, then it will become bitter. So we're gonna cut the ends off our garlic. I like fresh garlic when you can find it. Um, I know the peeled stuff is, and pre-chopped stuff is easier to work with, um, but it's the flavor's typically not as good. So if you can find fresh, get fresh, peel it as you need it. Because when it comes pre-peeled and pre-chopped, typically they did that with maybe some bleach in the water or a machine. And then when they pre-chop the garlic, it gets bitter and it gets kind of hot and you don't get as good a flavor. So we take the garlic, lay it down on the board, smash it with my knife, and then just run my knife through it. And as easy as could be, you know, you have pressed garlic. So I don't need a garlic press. It's easier to clean the side of my knife for me like that than it is a garlic press, so I just use my knife. One less thing I have to have out. So now garlic goes in. We give it another stir. Now we're gonna take our thyme. I have fresh thyme, like I said, if you have dry thyme, uh, you're just gonna use a third as much. I'm not gonna pick it, chop it, do all that stuff. I'm just gonna take a little bit of butcher twine. I'm gonna tie, <clears throat> tie up my thyme, that's hard to say. And then I'm gonna tie the thyme, I'm gonna put the thyme in the pot and then tie the string on the end. So then when I'm done cooking the sauce, I just pull out the thyme and I'm good to go. And it saves me time with cutting and stuff. So I just put it in here. I tie it to the handle to remind myself in case I'm drinking too much red wine as I'm cooking. Now the thyme is in there. Now the next thing that we're gonna add is we're going to add the tomato paste. Because the tomato paste, like the meat, has to brown a little bit. You don't want to just throw the paste in and then throw the liquid in. You want to put the paste in and let it brown a little bit and almost get a slight rusty color. And that pulls all the natural sugar and flavor out of your tomato paste and ensures your bolognese has good sauce. So this isn't like a dump and stir, this is a dump and brown. So we put in a whole can of paste, or if you have it in a, a toothpaste tube, you could use one tube. And then we're going to mix the paste with the meat a little bit and just let it start to brown up in there. And again, you're looking for it to get almost rusty. So you don't want it to be fire truck red. You want it to be like almost rusty in color and adhere, just like slightly almost adhere to the bottom of your pan, just a touch. This is why I don't love nonstick pans, why I like a pan with a, a, a stainless or a steel um, interior, because I can see what's going on. And I actually want things to adhere just a bit, because in the, in the chef world, it's just a fancy word. We call it a fond, but it's that caramelization that happens on the bottom of the pan. So then when we deglaze the pan, all that fond, all those little goodies come up into the sauce, and that's what gives us that really big, depth, delicious flavor um, that we're used to when we eat really spectacular um, Italian food. All right. Awesome. Clean up my board. What do we got for questions, Kat? Chef, if someone is using dried thyme, um, how much should they put in and should they add that now? Yeah, they could add the dried thyme right now. I'm going to say you're going to put about half a teaspoon. Should okay. be good. Should get you through pretty good. Excellent. And then um, if someone isn't, doesn't have wine or isn't cooking with wine, is there a liquid substitute that you may recommend? Just water would work. If they have stock, stock would be my first choice if you don't have wine. Um, if you don't have stock, I would use water. And then you could maybe put in a teaspoon of white wine vinegar or a teaspoon of red wine to vinegar, depending if you're using red or white wine. So that's a way that they can get a little bit of that acidity in there. There's your answer, Kimberly, who drank all of your wine by accident. 
<laughs> Water it is for Kimberly. Um, see the bottom of the pan now how this is caramelized? It wasn't, that wasn't there before. And that's that paste just caramelizing on it. I'm going to pour my wine in now. I'm using white because that's what I have, but sometimes I use red too. Not a big deal either way. I pour in the wine. Now I take my wooden spoon and I kind of like scrub the bottom of the pan with my wooden spoon back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, all the way around the pan, back and forth. And then when, now when we look back down at the pan, you saw how it looked before. See how it's like clean now? So all those caramelized bits, which was where all my flavor was, came up into my sauce. And that's what I want. Is, now, your, is your stove at the same temperature from when you started? Um, medium high. Medium high. Great. So to this now, we're going to add our water. And we're going to add our milk. We're going to give this a good stir. I'm going to drop this heat down to about low medium. I'm going to check out this gallery. It needs a touch of cracked black pepper. And I'm going to put another pinch of salt in. And then we're going to let this simmer away as we make our dough. Again, this isn't a sauce. Like there's, sometimes people think with some of these sauces, you, you got to cook them for eight hours, 12 hours, 72 hours, four days, six days. It, this is like a, a 20 minute to 30 minute sauce and it's going to have tremendous flavor. Remember, tomato paste has been cooked down already. It's, it's like, it's a paste. It was fresh tomatoes that got really cooked down deep. So all the sugars and the flavors and the depth of flavor has already been, uh, th that work has been done for you. So this is going to cook for, you know, as we're making the dough, and then we cook the dough and the sauce is going to be ready. So you don't have to cook the sauce for a million years. And that was about a cup of water in there, chef? Yeah, one cup of water. One cup of water, one cup of milk. Excellent. And how about so a couple of people doubling this recipe? I love that. How these leftovers will freeze well, I take it, maybe. Yeah, the sauce on its own will freeze spectacular. So... If you want to freeze it, make the sauce, then cool it, then freeze it. Don't make the sauce, mix the pasta with it, and then freeze it. Keep it separate. So the pasta will freeze great before we cook it. The sauce will freeze great after it's cooked. Once the sauce and the pasta come together, you got to eat it. Well, not that. It'll still be good for a couple of days in your fridge. But it won't. It, you can't freeze it at that point. Or it won't freeze. You could, you could technically, I guess you could freeze anything. It just is great after you freeze it. Right. right. And are we, is the pan open, any lid or anything on the pan or are we uh, letting it go? Lid. Okay. Letting, letting the pan do the work now. It's simmering. Um, let's come over here real quick. So I'm over like medium low. You can see it's just at a nice little blurble. Um, just, we're not boiling. It's just a nice little simmer. And this is just going to kind of reduce and the flavors are going to intensify. And then we're going to get the consistency right with the pasta water after we cook the pasta. All right. So now we're going to start going to give this a little wipe down. So I don't have to fire myself. If I keep a messy kitchen, I get mad at myself. All right. So in here, we're going to put three quarters of a cup of flour. Again, I'm using all-purpose flour. So three of these. My grandmother would do this whole situation by eye. And if she was still alive right now, she would yell at me and make fun of me that I used the measuring cup, but I'm doing it. I'm using the measuring cup. And we're gonna put a little hole in the middle there. And we're gonna add one whole egg. If you're nervous cracking an egg over here because of shells, you could always crack an egg in a bowl first. Make sure you don't have any shells or anything and then dump it in. So. Just however you're feeling confident-wise. Get that yolk up. Then we're going to put in our ricotta. Oh, Giada say Ricotta. 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 I don't even know how to. I can't even do it. Gabagol. <laughs> and then a little bit of Parmesan. About, I have about a, a half cup here of Parm. 
So you don't need to put any salt or anything in there because you have the saltiness of the cheese. If you wanted additional salt, you could put it in. And then we're just going to mix this all together. Now, if you didn't drain your ricotta, your that's all Midwesterner says it, ricotta. Ricotta. <laughs> if you didn't drain your ricotta, um, you're just going to need a touch more flour. And so when I say I put in three quarters of a cup of flour, three quarters of a cup is probably going to be a little less flour, a little less flour than I'll actually need. But it's easy to kind of add a little bit of flour at the end. If we put too much flour in in the beginning, it's hard to get it. You can't get it moist again. So I'd rather see you miss on the short end and then go. Like, for instance, if you're in Florida and it's humid, you're going to need more flour. If you're somewhere where it's really dry, you're going to need a little less flour. So when I make this recipe, um, <clears throat> like usually it's, I'll, you end up with using about a cup of flour in here, but you want to start with three quarters of a cup just to be safe. So I'm going to add just a little bit at a time. I'm going to add about a half of that quarter cup. And I could do this on the board so you guys can see it better. And see where I am. So it's still a little tacky. So we'll just add a little more. And if someone's using the optional lemon zest, they could just mix it into this dough. Yeah, um, lemon zest is just an option. So a lot of times I make it, my, my grandmother, when she made it, um, the lemon zest she always put in because typically she made this gnocchi with brown butter and sage. So this is just her dough recipe. So the lemon zest was always in there uh, because it was so good with the brown butter and sage. Sometimes I'll put it in um, when I'm making it for... Uh, Sometimes I'll put it in when I'm making it for tomato sauce. Sometimes I won't. It's an, you know, just an optional ingredient. All right. So you just kind of keep, we're looking good now. It's not tacky anymore. See, so now when I'm grabbing it, my hands aren't sticking. So that's kind of what you're looking for. And it just, the dough comes together so quickly. Unlike a regular pasta dough where, um, you know, regular pasta dough, you got the, hand mix it for about five, 10 minutes or to mix it for about three, four minutes to really develop those glutens. But you don't have to do that with this dough, which is great because it comes together quickly. You also don't have to let this dough rest for about an hour to let the flour bloom because it comes together so quickly. So this is a dough you could make last minute, comes together fast, super easy, um, which is one of the reasons I like it so much. Now, we're going to take it and we're going to take this and cut it into um, like almost little ropes before we roll it out. So I'm going to use my bench grip. You could use a knife. And we're just going to cut this into strips. And then we're going to roll the strips into ropes. Couple people asking who have clearly seen your cavatelli also, is there a big difference between this and your cavatelli? Same recipe. So yeah. ricotta cavatelli and the ricotta gnocchi are the exact same dough recipe. If this was a cavatelli, here I'll just show you real quick. If this was a cavatelli, I would roll it really thin. Not that thin. About this thin. And then I need, I'll do it before. And then you would just take it and cut it like that very thin. With the gnocchi, the, uh, here, wait, can't tell. So with the gnocchi, there, so that's the cavatelle. So you can see it's like a, the cavatelle is like a little quill. The gnocchis are going to be more, uh, like a bigger dumpling. So the gnocchi, I would just cut into dumplings like this. Now you could fork a gnocchi. You could just go straight in the water like this. My grandmother just cut them and cooked them. Um, some, you know, some people say, well, my grandma used to roll them across a fork or, you know, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer here. Um, it's just up to you. I, I had them like this as a kid. Some people that, friends of mine that I grew up with, 
their grandmother's forked them. So whatever, whatever works best for you works best for me. Just gonna get a little tray set up. Put some flour on my tray so I don't have to worry about the sticking. And then we're just gonna keep cutting them and throwing them on the tray before we cook them. So just cut them, roll them. Hey chef, if people are um, gonna cook this a little later on this evening, what, what's, the, what's the best method to do that, to hold the, them? Gnocchi, the great thing about these gnocchi is once I get them to here on the tray, <clears throat> I could take them and stick them in the freezer. And once they freeze, I could put them in bags, portion them in bags. And they're going to hold in the freezer at that point for about four months. So you could really get your, like, when I was a kid and I would make these with my grandmother or my mom, like a lot of times a day was we'd make the dough and we'd make a lot of it like uh, enough for weeks and we cut them all up. We freeze them. We put them in the bags. And then my, uh, I grew up on a street with a lot of Irish families. So my mom would make a bunch of gnocchi and freeze it and she'd pass it out. <laughs> so then everybody would have, um, the gnocchi. So it freezes incredibly well and you can make a lot of it at a time and that's it. So if you're making it tonight, roll it out, put it on a tray, freeze the dough and then you, you go, go right from the freezer to into the water with the dough, no problem. They cook from frozen brilliantly. Any other questions? Um, yes. Um, thinness or thickness of, of the dough as you're rolling it into the ropes? Um, about the size of your, I have relatively big hands, so it's about the size of my pinky. Got it. You tell <laughs> about the thickness of my pinky. If you have smaller, um, you know, if your fingers are smaller, maybe two pinkies, but somewhere depending on, you know, how big your hands are somewhere between a pinky and a thumb. I love the close up of your pinky. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I am not going to be a hand model. I feel. All right. Let me just look at the sauce. Sauce is coming along good. Give that a little. You can see how this is just continuing to simmer and reduce. That's what we want to happen there. And then, Cap, you could, I have a little bit more gnocchi, so you could keep giving me questions as I'm rolling this. That'd be great. Awesome. Let me scroll through the feed here. Actually, you know what? Let me take a look through the gallery. Hey, everyone, let me see uh, what your kitchens look like here. I want to see some, some sauces, some gnocchi rolling. Susie, what do you got going there? Diane, looking good. Brent, that sauce looks good. Nora, fantastic job. I love this. A lot of people cooking. Yes. Good stuff. The best thing about this, and I, and, I, and I usually say this at the end, is that if you haven't made this before, this is like a new recipe for your repertoire. Now you know how to make bolognese and you have this tool in your arsenal for the rest of your life. Yeah, and you know what I, the thing that I always, you know, I've been, Lee has been nice enough to let me do these festivals pretty much since the beginning. And, and the one thing that I always try to tell people um, when we're doing demos at the South Beach Food and Wine or the New York City Food and Wine is learn a technique and then you could do a ton of different things with that technique. You know, like we're, we talked to bolognese today, but again, this could be done with eggplant. It could be done with different meats. It could be done with vegetables. Don't get so locked into like, this is the recipe. Um, get locked into the method and the technique, and then you could do a ton of different things with it. Um, like someone asked before, oh, this looks like the cavatelle. Yeah, it's, it's, the technique is the same. The only thing that changes is the roll. Um, you know, and that's the same thing with a lot of pastas. You know, if you just even, you know, the, the, the dough for fettuccine, pappardelle, Tagliatelle, the dough's all the same. You're just changing the way it's cut and rolled. Um, so you could learn one thing and do a million things with it, which I love. All right. So I have all my pasta. 
couple people, some dough still sticky after what seems like a lot of flour. Should they have flour? Don't panic. Okay. Okay. So, you know, again, um, that could be for several reasons where you live could be a little bit on the human side. Um, your ricotta could have been a little bit wetter than my ricotta. Uh, you, I, my egg maybe was smaller than maybe your egg was stronger than my egg, <laughs> bigger, bigger egg. Um, but yeah, so you just want to keep the key is the most important part of, that I taught you about when making that dough is you want to keep adding that flour until your hand just gently releases from the dough and it's no longer tacky. That's when you're in the good place. So don't get caught up in the exact measurements of the recipe in that sense. Just keep feeling it. And when your hands release, you're in a good place. Awesome. All right. If so, if someone's cooking it in a couple hours, maybe cover the cover the tray and put them in the fridge. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's always easiest to put them in the freezer. I don't love putting this in the fridge because there's moisture in the fridge, and then they're gonna gonna start to get wet, and they're gonna stick to the tray. If you put them in the freezer, they'll they'll set up. Then you could separate them, put them in a bag, and cook them from frozen. This is one of those ingredients that cooking from frozen does not hurt it even a little bit. It doesn't hurt the quality of the product at all. Got it. All right, so I just turned my water up so it comes to a boil. So the sauce is just about ready. The gnocchi is only going to take a couple minutes to cook. So I'm going to put a good, pretty much per pound of pasta, I put roughly two tablespoons of salt in my water. You want a lot of water cooking. So I'm going to put in my two tablespoons of salt into my water. The water should have a little bit of a salty flavor to it. My grandmother always said, like, she could tell a good Italian cook from a bad Italian cook because this pasta water seasons your sauce. So if you didn't know how to season your pasta water, your sauce was always flat. So we season this because this water is going to go into here. Never, ever, 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 under any circumstances, put oil in your pasta water. Don't do it. I know a lot of you are going, oh my God, do I always do it? Don't do it. Because when then, it does two things. It puts a cap on your water so your water can't come to a rolling boil. We need that water boiling. And the other thing is, is you're pulling your noodles out of the water. The oil is hitting your noodles. Then the sauce doesn't stick to your noodles. The only thing you want sticking to your noodle is your sauce. So you don't want that oil to hit it. And don't take this and dump it over a sink in a colander. I'll I'll show you. So we're going to go right from our water into our sauce. Okay? So our water is just about at a full boil. Our sauce is looking spectacular. I must say so myself. I'm very happy with I'm very excited about what my dinner is going to be tonight. (laughs) So I'm going to head over here with the tray. I always pull pasta out of the water with a spider, um, super simple, easy tool. And that way I can just go right from my water into my sauce. Um, and then I'll add pasta water to the sauce to balance it out. So we're going to start dropping. The first thing I do is I give my water a little swirl, almost get a whirlpool effect going in there. And then we're just going to take our dumplings our little gnocchi, right in. And then we just give it one more swirl. And in about a minute or two, the gnocchis are going to start to float. Once they float, they have about another minute. But we still want to taste them. Like, once they float, we're going to wait a minute, and then we're going to make sure that they're cooked through, and then we go. One of the beauties about going from your pasta water into your sauce is you can undercook the pasta by a little bit, and then you finish cooking it in your sauce. And then it gets to take on the flavor of that sauce, and and that's what makes it so delicious. Like, I'm fortunate that I grew up with a, a, you know, an Italian grandmother, so I got to watch her cook a lot when I was a kid. And I got to watch a lot of other 
parents and family members and different friends, parents cook and stuff. Never in my life did I ever see my grandmother walk over and dump pasta into a strainer colander in the sink and then rinse it with cold water and do all these crazy things. She always had the pasta water. She pulled the pasta out of the water, added it to her sauce, tossed it all together, like because the sauce is like the dressing that brings it all together, and then she served it. And that's really what makes pasta delicious, that you could pull it and then move it in and go from there. So if you come over here, so see how they're starting to float? So in about a, about a, that was about 90 seconds prior to starting to float. I'm now going to take about four ounces of my pasta water, three, four ounces, and I'm going to add some of it to my bouillonnaise. We're going to give our bouillonnaise a little stir, and we're going to give it a taste before we add any of the pasta in. We want to give it one more taste to make sure, like, does it have enough pepper? Did it cook down enough? All that stuff. It's actually perfect. Makes me very happy. Um, if you wanted to add, like, if you wanted the spicy, you could have added some chili flakes and things like that. That's dealer's choice. And if someone's sauce is a little on the watery side, they could just let it simmer a little bit more? Yeah, if your sauce feels watery, you just you could turn the heat up a bit and let it re reduce. Essentially, from when we started to now, the liquid in my sauce has reduced by about half. And then I brought a little bit of that liquid back with the pasta water. The reason I used the pasta water to bring some of that liquid up is there's a starchiness to the pasta water, which helps thicken my sauce and give it more body. So look, all these are floating now. See that, look? Happy, you see that? Does that look good? It looks delicious. So now we're gonna take these out. I'm gonna make sure, I know that it's, just from experience, I know that it's good, but I'm just gonna be safe. I'm gonna risk my mouth. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, so now we're going to take these and just start plopping them in our sauce. These little pillows. This is Gavitella, actually, my two favorite pastas. How about some Calabrian chilies in there, someone's asking? Calabrian chilies would be delicious. And that would make it Bobby Flay's bouillonnaise. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love spice. So I, I put chilies in mine all the time. Um, all right, so now we're just going to move the sauce around with the noodles. That looks delicious. Remember, we had the time tied up, so I'm going to take out my time. If someone added too much flour to the dough chef, is there a fix for that or not so much? It's a little hard at that point. Yeah. Um, you, you could work some ricotta back in. If you, if you have a stand mixer, you could put the dough, um, if you have a stand mixer, you could put the dough in the stand mixer with the hook attachment and throw in a little bit of ricotta and get it going. But it's gonna be hard to do by hand. Got it. All right, so I'm just going to show you how to finish this. I turned my heat up just to continue to let this cook together real quick. I'm just going to finish those uh, gnocchi right in the sauce. So I'm at a pretty good, like a high simmer. Now I turn the heat off. Come over here. Once we're off the heat, we then add our Parmesan cheese. If I put the parm in while this is simmering, it's gonna be a stringy, sticky mess. So after you're off the heat, you add your cheese. And if you wanted to put in any soft herb, you would do that now too. So if you wanted to add basil or parsley um, or something like that, that's when you would put that in off the heat. In one second. How about butter, chef? You could finish it with butter. I sometimes do that. Um, like if I, what I do is, is if I taste it and it tastes a little sharp to me, a little bit more acidic than I want it to be, 
I might throw in a pan of butter at this point just to smooth it out. But this actually tastes really good and balanced. So I never put sugar in my sauce, that kind of thing. But if it tastes a little sharp to me, I will throw in a pat of butter, maybe a little drizzle of extra virgin olive oil, and then you're off to the races. Any other questions, guys? Awesome. That looks delicious. Um, a couple of questions, and I'm curious to myself, uh, is this the type of gnocchi that you can adapt to pan frying to get crispy? Oh, this would be delicious pan fried. Um, you could, if like earlier when you asked uh, lemon zest optional. So when my grandmother made this with the brown butter, <clears throat> she would cook them, she'd pull them out of the water, they'd go into the brown butter, and they'd really kind of crisp up in that brown butter. Then she would hit it with a little bit of lemon juice and pasta water and pull it off the heat and toss it with the parm and it was done. Um, so this crisps up unbelievably well. So good. Awesome. And people are asking about some ingredients, you know, how much parm did you put on top? How much parm he put on top is how much parm you saw him put on top. Um, I guess it's kind of a personal thing, right? If you don't love parm, don't add as much parm. If you love parm, you could add a little more. Right. It's like, you know, a lot of these things, it's like, you just, sometimes you just gotta be you, you know? Um, if you want more, put more. If you don't like, I don't get all like, <clears throat> If I'm serving this in my restaurant, if we're serving this in restaurants, obviously we serve it the way that we feel it should properly be done. Like, um, I put some parm in to finish, just a little bit to mix it in, bring the sauce together, and then we'd offer it at the table. Not that I think it needs more parm, but if they wanted more parm, we'd offer it at the table. Um, at home, go crazy. Uh, you know, also, it's like the way that I grew up, you know, you, the sauce coated the noodle kind of thing. Um, this is a dumpling, so it could take on a little bit more sauce than like a spaghetti, but we never had pasta that swam in sauce, so to speak. And then we always, uh, <clears throat> there was never that situation in my house where the pasta was in a bowl and then they dumped the sauce on top. That was like a big no-no, um, how I grew up. But you, you should do it how it fits you. Like, I always think that the noodle needs to be tossed with the sauce. It's like, it's like a think of it like a salad. Um, you know, a salad is no good with no dressing. So if you're making yourself a salad, you're always going to toss it in the dressing and then eat it. It should be the same uh, with the pasta. And then if you wanted to put more parm on at the end, you could you know you could do that a little bit more parm at the end, and you're fine. You know, some people parmesan is salty. So if you like that, you know that that umami blast and that salt blast could put on more pump, especially the longer it's been aged. Um, always try to grate your own. Like we grated some for earlier for the thing, because then you don't have to worry about fillers and all that other crazy stuff. That's going to make your arm not taste as good. Awesome. Well, it looks like people are eating. I love this. Yes. Everyone's dishes are looking, looking real nice. Um, thank you again to chef Michael Simon and thank you all for your support. Uh, please stay safe and stay healthy, everybody. Good night. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for cooking along. Whether you just listened for fun or you actually cooked along with us, we thank you. If you did cook this recipe, take a pic and tag it with hashtag CookTracks. Let us know how it came out because we want to see it. Keep up to date with us on Instagram at CookTracks or at CookTracks.com. CookTracks is cooked up by my friends, Cappy, Ian Cohen and Charlie DiGiello. And sometimes they let me, Rachel Ray, help out too. With editing from Joel Yeaton. Music has been composed by Jeffrey David Colford. Please rate and review or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Cook Tracks. We've got your back in the kitchen.